chapter 26, um, verses 31 um, to 46. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And let us let us pray together, shall we? Father God, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing that it is. Help us, Lord, to have soft hearts to receive it this morning, uh, to be able to be changed by it that your spirit would be at work in us and that we would be the people that you want us to be. Help us to love you even more as a result of hearing it. In Jesus' name, amen. So sometimes sometimes people make great boasts. They make great boasts of what they believe they can deliver. And sometimes they might boast, but... When the decisive moment arrives, they are struck with reality. One example of this is from the recent general election in December. In the words of the then Liberal Democrat leader, Joe Swinson, she stated that, I will do whatever it takes to stop Brexit. Not only did she claim this would happen, but she went, she went one big, bold step further. She said, I am ready to take my party into a general election and win it. For Joe Swinson to have won, and the Liberal Democrats to have won, 
they needed to elect 306 more MPs than the 20 that they already had. Defiant, however, Joe pressed on, and she continued in the campaign in the general election. She predicted that there would have been more defections from the two other parties, so that she would have won big as it came on the 12th of December. To win for Joe Swinson was to fulfill her dream and vision of becoming the next Prime Minister. As she said, I have had MPs from both parties telling me I would be a better Prime Minister than Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn. However, when all votes were counted and all seats declared, she lost. She lost badly. Not only did Joe Swinson lose the general election, but her party didn't gain any seats. In fact, they lost 11 seats as opposed to 2017. And to add to Joe's woes, she even lost her own seat. She lost her own seat in Eastern Bartonshire in Scotland to the SNP by 149 votes. And so for making these great, grand boasts of grandeur to be the next Prime Minister, Joe Swinson didn't even win her local election in Scotland and didn't win her own seat. And so she went from making great promises of being the next Prime Minister to being unemployed as a politician. And this type of humbling experience is really what we see in the life of Peter. Peter, as he interacts with Jesus, boasts of what he can and could deliver, only to be hit by reality. Peter thought that he knew what was ahead of him, and so boasted of what he could deliver. Jesus, on the other hand, knew exactly what was ahead of him and prayerfully advanced towards the cross. Now, as we continue in the series, the the final few hours, we see that Jesus knew exactly what was ahead of him. As the pace of the gospel, according to Matthew, slows down, we see that Jesus knew that he was to be handed over and crucified, as we see at the start of chapter 26, verse 2. He knew the pain and the suffering that lay ahead of him, and yet he pressed on. And so having been anointed by expensive perfume by the woman at Bethany in preparation for his burial, he was ready for what lay ahead. Knowing what lay ahead, he shared the Passover meal with his disciples and all those close to him, including Judas, who would betray him. He knew all that was going to happen to him. He was aware of the path that he was going to take and the ultimate cost involved. Yet he walked on. He walked on resolutely towards the cross. In the passage we're looking at this morning, Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 to 46, 
there is a sharp contrast between the response of Peter and the response of Jesus. As we see that under the title, The Prediction and the Prayer. And so we'll see that, see that uh, flesh itself out in two headings, under two headings. Firstly, Peter's pride in verse 31 to 35. And secondly, Jesus' prayerfulness in 36 to 46. Jesus, uh, Peter's pride and Jesus' prayerfulness. So firstly, Peter's pride. Now, <clears throat> Jesus knew exactly what lay ahead of him. He knew all that lay ahead of him, and he warned his disciples of the fact that they would reject him. Jesus told them plainly that they would all abandon him. Look at verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. Not only did he know what was going to happen, but it had to happen. It had to happen to fulfill the words of the prophet Zechariah. As it says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus is the shepherd who will be struck and the disciples are the sheep who will be scattered. Jesus knew that everything that lay ahead of him It was to fulfill all of God's eternal plan. And so he knew that he must go to the cross. To go to the cross and be crucified. Yet he also knew he would be raised from the dead. Jesus had confidence, not in himself, in his humanity, but in the providence, plans, and purposes of God. And what about Peter? Well, as we look at verse 33, we see that Peter didn't believe. Verse 33, Peter replied, Even if all fall away in account of you, I never will. It's as if Peter says, No way, Jesus. No way. I'll never let you down. These other guys will... They're not like me. They're weak. I, however, am your man. I'm your guy, Jesus. To which Jesus responds in verse 34, You will disown me, Peter. Not once or even twice, but three times. It's as if Jesus is saying to Peter, You won't even make it through the end of the day without rejecting me and renouncing my name. To which Peter's response would be, no chance, no chance. And he even amped up his response in verse 35. Even if I, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Not only will I not renounce your name, Jesus, but I'll die with you, Jesus. I'll die with you before disowning you. I will never disown you. And Jesus warns Peter plainly of what is going to happen. But Peter 
in his pride exalts himself. Exalts himself and believes that he will never, there will never come a day when he renounces Jesus. And so he boasts that he will never renounce Jesus. And perhaps it's easy to look at Peter and say, what a fool, what an idiot. And yet, there are very few of us today, if indeed any of us today, here, who sit under the threat of death for being followers of Jesus. The phrase, or the key phrase in both Jesus' words and the words of Peter are in verse 31 and 33, on account of me or on an account of you. They're talking about the name of Jesus. Before we look at ourselves, I think it's helpful, though, to remember of the people today who are willing to face death on account of Jesus. According to the Barnabas Fund, there are three examples that I recently looked at. One was in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is publicly, vehemently against Christianity. And for those who convert to it, there is the threat of the death penalty. In Cameroon, the UN estimates that 170,000 Cameroonians, mainly Christians, hide out in the hills and other towns so that they're not killed for their faith. In Pakistan, a Christian farmer, Salim Mashish, was tortured to death for washing at a Muslim well. Salim was tortured and killed for being none other than just a Christian, for following Jesus and washing at the Muslim water well. Yet, how do we respond to non-Christian workers or colleagues around the water cooler at work? Yes, it's difficult to share the gospel with colleagues, and there are rules in the workplace, but we do have immense freedom in the UK to be able to share the gospel with relative freedom. We can still testify of Christ, give an account of Christ without the threat of death. So before perhaps we look to judge Peter and his proud heart, we surely, we surely need to examine ourselves. How would we deal with the threat of death for following Jesus? How would we remain faithful? Would we remain faithful under that threat? Would we disown Jesus? And when we are tested to a lesser degree in places that God has placed us, then we should seek to be faithful in how we respond. When people ask us questions, easy questions, such as, do you go to church? Or... Are you a Christian? Perhaps for many of us, those questions are easy to answer. Very easy. Perhaps, however, the more difficult questions are from friends, colleagues, acquaintances, or neighbors. And they say, I'm not a Christian. But I think I'm a good person. And what will happen to me if I don't accept your Jesus? Will I go to heaven? Or, I'm a Muslim, 
and I follow the Prophet Muhammad and the teachings of the Quran, and you're a Christian. But ultimately, well, we follow the same God. So all paths lead up the hill to paradise. Don't they? Don't they? Or maybe my friend John is getting married to his partner in the summer. I'm so pleased for them. I'm so pleased that they can be happy as a gay couple. I'm sure that as a Christian, you can understand that. Jesus would want us to be happy, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? These are more like the situations that we face in our daily lives as we seek to be faithful to Jesus. As we seek to give an account of Christ. May God help us to remain faithful in these times of testing and temptation so that we do not shrink back from remaining faithful in giving an account of Jesus. And yet maybe we all say, along with Peter and the disciples, I'll never disown you. No way, Lord. No way. Well, the desire is there. The desire to stay faithful to Jesus is there. But will we deliver on the desire? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we've seen Peter's pride. And let's look secondly at Jesus' Prayerfulness. Jesus' prayerfulness from verse 36 to 46. <clears throat> so Jesus and his disciples arrive at Gethsemane in verse 36. The name Gethsemane means oil press or olive press. And what a suitable name that is for the place where Jesus will meet fierce pressure and temptation as he prepares to endure in the final hours. Jesus takes three disciples with him in verse 37, but only Peter is specifically named. Peter is specifically referenced to draw out the stark contrast between him and Jesus. In verse 37 to 38, we see the humanity of Jesus in full view. We see that he shared our human condition, that he told that we are told that Jesus began to be sorrowful, that he was troubled, and that his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death. Jesus knew exactly the burden that he was to carry. He knew the sorrowful weight of sacrifice that lay ahead of him. He was aware of the pain and the shame and the anguish and the agony that was to come. And so, for that reason, he asked Peter, along with the two sons of Zebedee, keep watch with me. He was saying, stay with me. This burden I have is overwhelming me. Overwhelming me to the point of death. So stay with me. Stay with me and watch with me. Be alert and be with me, Peter. 
And so aware of his fragility, aware of the weakness of his humanity, aware of his frail fleshly desire to shrink back from the task placed before him, he prayed in verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He says, Father, not as I will, but as you will. Father, not my will be done, but yours be done. And how do Peter and the disciples respond? How do they respond to him? Verse 40, Jesus returned and found them sleeping. Sleeping. They couldn't even stay awake for one hour, never mind the whole night. Jesus gives them a second chance, and again they fail. Looking at verse 43, their eyes were heavy. They were no doubt burdened, and they fell asleep. They fell asleep again. Then Jesus gives them a third chance. Verse 44, he went away and prayed again. Praying the same thing again. And how do the disciples, led by Peter, respond? They're still sleeping. They're still sleeping. Twice, Jesus says to Peter and the disciples, Keep watch with me. Keep watch with me. And on the third occasion, he says, Watch and pray. Verse 41. Watch and pray so you do not fall into temptation. The contrast between Jesus' prayerfulness and Peter's pride in the face of trial and temptation is stark. Where Jesus says, Father, not my will be done, but yours be done. Peter says, even if they fall away, I never will. Where Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed, even to the point of death. Peter says, Even if, even if I have to die, I'll never disown you. Three times Jesus prays, and three times the disciples fall asleep. What should Peter be doing? He should be praying. He should be praying, but he doesn't realize the weakness of his own flesh. Yes, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is this not true of us this morning? That we are charged up on a Sunday with the zeal of the Lord, ready to share the gospel this week, Wednesday, Thursday morning, presented with a golden opportunity, and we don't open our mouths. We say, I'll never gossip. No way, no chance. 
only to be the very person that puts a log on the fire to let the flames of gossip burn a little brighter. We say, I'll never watch that pornography site again, only to fall into the pit of failure once more. We vow to confront a brother or a sister in the Lord about their behavior, their drinking, their language. And yet we shrink back, fearful of what they will say of us. And yet the Spirit is willing. The Spirit is willing. We do want to do these things, the right things. We really do want to follow through. Yet the flesh is weak. The desire to do the right thing is there. Yet we lack the moral strength in ourselves to do what we should. It reminds me of the slightly terrifying verse in the New Testament warning us against the complacency of trusting in ourselves. From 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful you don't fall. We're called, as Jesus calls Peter, not to trust in ourselves, in our own strength and resolution, but to entrust ourselves to God in prayer. As Jesus says to Peter in verse 41, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Watch, that is, be on your guard at all times and pray and trust yourself to God in everything. That is what Peter should be doing. Peter should be more aware of his weakness and should pray, should pray that God gives him the strength to go through it. Instead of being ready for what lies ahead, he is resting. Instead of being set for the situation, he is sleeping. And where Peter is proud, Jesus is prayerful. Just as Jesus was prayerful in the awareness of the weakness of his flesh, in his humanity, so we too should be prayerful in the weakness of ours. We should pray. We should pray in anticipation of temptation. We should pray during times of temptation. And we should pray after being tempted that God, by his Spirit, has delivered us from temptation. Is that not the Lord's prayer? Lord, deliver us from temptation. And yet ultimately, our temptations, our temptations are nothing in comparison to that of the Lord Jesus. Our prayers are that we might be delivered from light and momentary afflictions. Jesus is praying in Gethsemane to be delivered from the ultimate, the ultimate test and temptation. The temptation not to drink the cup. The cup that we deserve to drink. Jesus prayed, Father, Father, if it is possible, 
take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he prayed again in verse 42. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Father, take this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Three times Peter, three times Jesus asks Peter and the disciples to watch for them. Three times they fail him. Three times Jesus asks for God the Father to take the cup from him. And three times the answer is no. And so having prayed to the Father, aware of the weakness of the flesh and full of the Spirit of God, Jesus is ready. Jesus is ready in full, faithful obedience to God, in loving obedience to his Father. He resolves to go to the cross. Look at verse 46. Rise, let us go. Peter is proud, but Jesus is prayerful. The disciples are resting, but Jesus is ready. Jesus shows true, spirit-empowered, godly leadership and walks straight into trials. The hour has come and Jesus stands to his feet and walks to the ultimate trial, the cross. He resolves to drink the cup, the cup of God's wrath against sin that we deserve to drink. Jesus drinks the cup of bitterness that we might have life. Jesus drinks the full measure of the cup of wrath on the cross that we might instead receive the full cup of his blessing. And he holds this cup out to us today. Jesus holds the cup of salvation out to us today. For all those that repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. Or for all those who have never trusted in Jesus, he holds out the cup of salvation today. For all those that acknowledge their weakness, acknowledge their sinfulness, for those that, that desire to do what is right and yet fail. For those that yearn to do what is right, Jesus holds out the cup. The cup of the new covenant, as he says in verse 27 and 28. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so he holds out the cup of salvation to us today, the cup of forgiveness to us today. Jesus calls us to give him our cup of sin 
of unfaithfulness, of dark desires, of our faults and failings. And in return, we receive his cup. We receive his love, his joy, his righteousness, and his peace. Our job is to give him our cup that we might receive his love. Have you done that yet? Is that true of you? Let me encourage you to do that this morning if you haven't. As we look at Peter, Peter will go on to deny, deny knowing Jesus just as Peter, just as Jesus predicted. We'll look at that another time, but Peter <clears throat> learned a hard lesson in this. He was proud. He was confident in himself. And he will fail. He is not prayerful. In his failure, Peter was humbled. Surely that must be the posture of our hearts too. As we recognize the weakness of our sinful hearts, it should humble us and drive us to the Lord in prayer. So that in everyday life, we might not rely on ourselves, relying on our own strength, but relying on the Lord who is our strength. Let's listen to Peter writing years later in First Peter. If you have a Bible, it'd be good to turn to it. First uh, Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 through 11 1 Peter chapter 5 um Verse 5, starting all of you. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. May that be the prayer of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we, we look to you, we look to you in prayer as our Lord Jesus did. And we recognize that the Spirit is willing, but the 
body, the flesh is weak. And so, Lord, we pray, deliver us from temptation. Give us the power, Lord, to be able to resist it. And give us the power to be able to look to you in prayer before temptation, during temptation, and after. That we might give you all the praise for the work that you do in our lives. If it's not the case, Lord, that we have received you yet, Lord, may we receive the forgiveness of sins that we have in you. That you've drank, you've drank the whole cup of wrath that we might receive the cup of blessing and the cup of forgiveness. Lord, Lord God, help us to receive your goodness in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen.